Good morning, church. Today's reading is from Daniel chapter 11, verses 21 to 35. In his place shall arise a contemptible person to whom royal majesty has not been given. He shall come in without warning and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Armies shall be utterly swept away before him and broken, even the prince of the covenant. And from that time that an alliance is made with him, he shall act deceitfully, and he shall become strong with a small people. Without warning, he shall come into the richest parts of the province, and he shall do what neither his fathers nor his father's fathers have done, scattering among them plunder, spoil, and goods. He shall devise plans against strongholds, but only for a time." And he shall stir up his power and his heart against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall wage war with an exceedingly great and mighty army. But he shall not stand, for plots shall be devised against him. Even those who eat his food shall break him. His army shall be swept away, and many shall fall down slain. And as for the two kings, their hearts shall be bent on doing evil." They shall speak lies at the same table, but to no avail, for the end is yet to be at the time appointed. And he shall return to his land with great wealth, but his heart shall be set against the holy covenant, and he shall work his will and return to his own land. At the appointed time, how he shall return and come into the south, but it shall not be this time as it was before. For ships of Katim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid, and withdraw, and shall turn back, and be enraged, and take action against the holy covenant. He shall turn back, and pay attention to those who forsake the holy covenant. Forces from him shall appear, and profane the temple and fortress, and shall take away the regular burnt offering, and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate." He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by the sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help, and many shall join themselves to them with flattery, and some of the wise shall stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the end of time, for it still awaits the appointed time. This is the word of our Lord. Good morning. A little delay there, wasn't there? Just a, just a tad. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. Good to have you with us. You guys doing well? Outstanding. Did you have your coffee this morning? Yes. Any non-coffee drinkers in the house? Are you guys Christians? <laughs> Just kidding. Welcome to Desert Breeze. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Daniel chapter 11. The War of Wars is the title of this weekend's message. We've been working our way through the book of Daniel. This is chapter 11. We've got one more chapter. We'll be wrapping up this teaching series. Also, grab your sermon notes out, and you can follow along. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Hallelujah. Happy Thanksgiving this week. Did you guys know that? Not very many of you did, did you? It's, th it's Thanksgiving. I love this time of the year. I love this time to give thanks to our Savior, our King, our Lord. Take a look at your sermon notes, part of the intro. When you think of the war of wars, what comes to mind for you? may not be what I'm thinking, nor what the Bible's thinking, 
the war of wars is not the war of the Antichrist against God's people at the end of time, though that's what we read. That was uh, certainly, the text that we read was about Antiochus Epiphanes, a foreshadowing of the Antichrist, and a lot of war on God's people coming down on them through this man who, as I said, is a foreshadowing of the Antichrist. But actually, the war that we're talking about here it is the war of the spirit of the Antichrist battling for your heart's deepest affections and loyalties away from Christ that has been happening from the beginning of time since the fall of mankind. Much more strategic war here. Your greatest defense is, is really this war that's going on. There's a war coming after you for your heart's deepest affections and loyalties away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And your greatest defense is daily giving and growing in your sincere and pure devotion to Christ Jesus. That, that's the key. That's what we hope to stir up within you week in and week out here at Desert Breeze. Now, all of us are on one of two trajectories as defined in Proverbs 4, 18 through 19. Listen to what it says, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. If you're following Christ, that's what your life should look like. Like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter, like the, uh, brighter and brighter until full day. But notice the contrast here. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. So you got this contrast between wickedness getting darker and darker and righteousness getting brighter and brighter. We're on one of two trajectories here. Everybody, everybody in here, everybody out there, everybody in the world. Now, Daniel chapter 9, we saw that the 70-year exile is over. Daniel is praying for revival. And then in Daniel 10, we see that a remnant returns to rebuild, go back home and rebuild, but they are not doing well. And so in, in Daniel 10, he's fasting and praying. He receives his fourth vision. Angel shows up and begins to explain the vision to him. We see a lot of spiritual warfare going on behind the scenes in chapter 10. Chapters 11 and 12 is the explanation of the vision. This would be somewhat of a summary of what's going on in the last two chapters of Daniel. It's Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, just look at that verse just for a moment here. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. So in Daniel's present you know, future right there, there's a present application, but there's also a future application for us. And it's just saying things are going to get harder, more difficult, more wicked, more evil. But notice the contrast here. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. In other words, there's deliverance for God's people in the midst of all the darkness. He's saying that God will bring deliverance to his people, everyone whose name shall be, uh, whose name shall be written in the book. So like I said, there's both a present and future application. Now, th this is what I found interesting as I was studying uh, chapters 11 and 12, is that there is only one Old Testament vision about the end times that Jesus directly called his people to understand. And, and that is the vision of 
the prophet Daniel recorded in Daniel chapter 11 and 12. So during Jesus' what is known as the Olivet Discourse, which Jesus is talking about the end times, the last days, he says, hey, read Daniel chapters 10, 11, and 12, and that will clue you in to when the end is coming. It's on your notes here, Matthew 24, 15 through 21. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, so he speaks of that two times, once in Daniel 11 in verse 31 and, and once in Daniel 12, verse 11. Abomination of desolation, which abomination means evil, when evil increases. It's almost the, the apex of evil, and the word desolation means destruction. Evil that brings destruction unlike we've ever known before. That's what he's talking about here. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, for then there will be great tribulation. So here's, here's what's happening here in the last two chapters of Daniel. The backdrop of Daniel's vision is sober, it's somber, it's heavy, and the world for the foreseeable future is not going to get much better. It's going to get worse. This is what Daniel is saying. And I know that everyone today wants to think that the world is gradually progressing to a utopia where we will have no more political or economic problems where everyone lives in abundance of prosperity and is united in one global family. But that's not where Daniel says the world is going. Nor is it where Jesus in, in Matthew 24 and 25 says the world is headed or what John tells us in the book of Revelation is ahead. The Bible writers consistently tell us that the world is going to get a lot worse before it gets better. So I don't believe in evolution. I believe in devolution, okay? I mean, seriously, this idea of evolution that, you know, almost, you know, survival of the fittest, things are getting better, it's not happening. That's insane. Things are getting worse. That's a fact. Just study history. That's what the Bible says, that's what the Bible predicts. So here's our thesis statement. So as the world gets darker, life will get harder. But God's grace, <laughs> I love it. But God's grace will shine brighter on us and through us. Did you know that? That's, that's the story of Daniel. So here's what's interesting, I don't know if you notice this, but at the end of our reading, and if you read the whole chapter, it's 45 verses. Tucked away right there in the middle, there are some verses, verses uh, 32b to 35. Oh my goodness, you see the grace of God on his people in the midst of all this crazy darkness. And so, thesis statement, as the world gets darker, life will get harder, but God's grace will shine brighter on us and through us. Now, in John 16, it's interesting. Jesus was telling his disciples that he's going to die. They didn't get it. And basically, he's just saying, hey, this is going to get really crazy for you guys, and you're going to be running scared like rats jumping off of a sinking ship. It's going to get out of control. But I'm telling you these things before they happen so that in me, you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. 
And so I believe that God gives us these warnings in His Word. Hey, it's going to get ugly. It's going to get hard. It's going to get difficult. The world is going to hell in a handbasket, but my grace is upon you. I've overcome the world. You can have peace in me, even in the midst of all the craziness. That's what our text is all about this morning. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's invite God's presence here once again and and ask Him to guide us and direct us and to open our eyes and to learn what we need to learn this morning. Father God, we're thankful that you tell us these things before they happen so that when they happen, we can have peace. In this world, we're gonna have tribulation. The Bible promised us that. But you have overcome the world, Lord Jesus. We're thankful for the power, the grace that we have in you. And God, I know that, I'm sure that there are those here this morning that are struggling. They have, they're experiencing their own tribulation, their own problems. And God, I know that John 14, 27 is for them. As you told your disciples, peace I leave with you. Peace, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled nor be afraid, Lord. I pray that those that have come in here with a lot of worry, with a lot of stress, with a lot of anxiety, that they could lay that aside and experience your peace, that they could have their confidence in your loving, wise care of their lives renewed in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. So let's take a look at this. You can see, so there's two parts to this. As the world gets darker, life gets harder. That's the first section. Let's take a look at that just for a moment. Now, it's interesting. The Bible used, in fact, Jesus uses this metaphor in the Olivet Discord as he talks about the end times. Use this idea of birth pains. Anybody know what birth pains are all about? Anybody here ever experienced birth pains? Oh, you caused them? Okay. (laughs) How dare you? So, uh, so it's, it's interesting when I think about birth pains, I was thinking about, when I think of birth pains, I think of the kidney stone that I passed a few years ago that I felt like I was going to die. And, I, and, and some people would say, well, that's kind of like, kind of close to it. Most women probably wouldn't say that. I would say that, okay. I felt that pain, maybe not quite like you felt the pain. But my wife was in uh, labor for about 16 hours. And while she was in labor and I was there assisting her <laughs> as best as I could, uh, I said really dumb, uh, really dumb thing while uh, we were in there about 12 hours into this. I said, honey, are you experiencing some discomfort? And, uh, and she had that look on her face. The first time I've ever seen that homicidal look on her face, like I could kill you right now with my bare hands. I've seen it a couple more times since then, but that was one of the kind of times I go, oh, I better keep my mouth shut. I just, I'm supposed to just kind of help her to stay focused and breathe, you know, the whole Lamaze thing. And I, I wasn't very good, okay? I'm just telling you. But what's interesting with birth pains is that uh, he uses that as an analogy, is that trouble, difficulties, the world getting darker and life getting harder will increase in intensity and frequency. So my wife, when she was having birth pains over 16 hours, that's exactly what happened. They increased in intensity and frequency. And that's what we see happening with the difficulties of life. In fact, what are the warning signs of the end times that we need to be aware of? I've got four on the notes. Turn to the people sitting around you and see if you can come up with one or two of these. You need to be aware of this so that as they happen, you can have peace in Him knowing that God has overcome the world, but you gotta be aware of it so you're not caught off guard going, why, why is this happening? Well, the Bible predicts it. So talk to the people sitting around you. I'll give you about 30 seconds or more, maybe a minute, 
And so what are some of the signs of the times that we need to be aware of? Okay, so, so I think I gave you enough time there to talk about that. So let's see how well your list lines up with the list that I've got here. First one on your notes, first fill in the blank, distress of nations. Did you guys come close to that? Kind of a junk drawer kind of a statement. I'm, I'm putting a lot into that, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But Daniel 11 includes amazing details about the conflict of great empires, political developments, end-time powers, that would affect the Jews and all people today. And I gave you a little bit of a kind of a breakdown of that in your notes, Persia Empire verses one and two, Greek Empire verses three through four, conflict between Egypt and Syria verses five through 20. And then we've got, and this is the text that we read, Antiochus Epiphanes verses 21 through 35, foreshadowing the Antichrist. We didn't read this section, verses 36 through 45. The details are stunningly accurate. And I'm not going to go through and unpack these and show you how they line up. These were future to Daniel. They're in our past except for the Antichrist in verses 30, 36 through 45. That's still in our future. But all of these are in our past. They were in Daniel's future. The details are stunningly accurate. And um, if you want to study more on this, there's guys that you can go to, such as Chuck Smith, the word for today. He's got an app. You could go through this particular message with him, this chapter. Chuck Missler, the book of Daniel commentary, or David Guzik, the book of Daniel commentary. These guys go into specific detail and show you the accuracy of what Daniel spoke. Now, this is what you need to keep in mind. Bible prophecy gives proof that the Bible is God's word. It protects and prepares us for the future and reveals God's providential hand, always working for our good in his glory. Here's what I want to remind you of. We've, already, we've been talking about that over the last uh, few weeks since we started in the second part of the book of Daniel, chapter 7 through 12. God has the authority to set into place the leaders of the nations to serve his purposes. That's the idea here. Some of these leaders, most of these leaders he's talking about are wicked, they're evil. These are world governing empires. And yet God is showing what's going down and he's saying, hey, I rule history. We've got to keep that in mind as it relates to American history. And so God has the authority to set into the place, into place the leaders of the nations to serve his purposes. Daniel chapter 4, verse 17. Uh, Daniel chapter 4, verse 25. Romans 13, 1 through 4. And I'm saying that in light of the recent election and even future elections and what goes down. You might not be pleased with how things are headed. I got that, I understand, I'm, I feel the same way. But let me remind you of a quote that I shared about three weeks ago. John Quincy Adams, the sixth president, fought to end the institution of slavery throughout his life while never attaining the goal. He never gave up when asked how he persevered in the face of ever-present hostile opposition. He wisely observed, remember his, his statement? Remember the quote? Duty is ours, results are God's. You guys remember that? 
Not very many of you remember that. That's the reason why I have the gift of repetitiveness and redundancy, okay? That's why I repeat myself, because I don't remember that. I had to go back to my notes and go, okay, what was that again? I taught it like three times that weekend. So I've got to keep reminding myself, duty is ours, results are God's. And so when we face circumstances in our nation's history for our future, it's okay to be sorrowful, but don't be in despair. Sorrow, yes. Despair, no. Why? Because God always wins, Daniel chapter 7. You're forgetting what we learned there. God rules history, Daniel chapter 8. Humble, bold prayer, Daniel chapter 9, pray for revival, renewal, and awakening. That's what we need more than anything here in our country today. Angels and demons, Daniel chapter 10, we saw the curtain was pulled back. We saw the major spiritual warfare that's going on behind the scenes. Better hit our knees, be praying, be seeking the Lord. And then the war of wars this weekend, the war is for the hearts and lives of people for all eternity. That's the war of wars. That's the war of wars. Don't get distracted by any other war that's at hand. It's the war for our heart's deepest affections and loyalties away from Christ. And then our, our bright future, Daniel chapter 12. So Luke 21, 25 uses this idea, the, the language of distress of nations. Distress of nations. Matthew 24, 6, it says wars and rumors of wars. So expect that. Expect distress of nations, wars and rumors of wars. The last 100 years have been the bloodiest century in all of human history. More people have been killed by genocide and war and abortion than any other century in history. Did you know that? So we're seeing this increase in intensity and frequency. We're living more and more in the last times. Now, when I say distress of nations, I'm including other things in there. This includes terrorism, racial clashes, violent weather. Are we increasing in intensity and frequency of violent weather patterns on this planet? Oh my goodness, yes. War, financial crisis, disease, COVID, hello. Worldwide pandemic, wake up. We're living in the last days. That's what we need to know. So the intensity of the distress will cause men's hearts to fail from fear. We don't need to have our hearts fail with fear. We don't need to be full of fear. It tells us in Luke 21, 25 through 26, there will be on the earth distress of nations, men's hearts failing them for fear. So you got distress of nations. Here's the second one, it's on your notes. Falling away, there will be a great falling away of people from God. Verses 21 through 35. Antiochus Epiphanes rises to power. That's what we were reading in our text. It's pretty vicious stuff, foreshadowing of the Antichrist. So I got it laid out in your notes, his craftiness, his deception, verses 21 23, his conquest, verse 24, his confrontations, verses 25 through 30, his cruelty, verses 31 through 35. You can read that on your note. Now, Jesus says in, uh, when he talked about the last days, the end times in verses 20, in Matthew 24, verses 12 through 13, he says, because lawlessness will increase, hard times are coming. As the world gets darker, life gets harder, it says that the love of many will grow cold. Don't let your heart for Christ go, grow cold because of the difficulties of life. 
But it says, those who persevere to the end shall be saved. You want to persevere to the end. Now look at, let me read a couple verses. If you've got your Bibles open, look at verse 21. Just to show you the deceptiveness of this Antiochus Epiphanes, and, um, which is a foreshadowing of the Antichrist and the times we live in. Look at verse 21. He shall come in without warning and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. So we know that there's a man in the future going to come on the scene, and oh my goodness, he's going to have answers to all the world's problems, and everybody's going to go, woo-hoo-hoo! He's bringing unity and harmony to the world. That's fantastic. And the world will rally around him. He's called the Antichrist. We also know that he will have a covenant with Israel, and he'll bring peace to the Middle East, and they'll probably let them rebuild their temple, and they will once again reestablish their sacrifices in the temple. And so we got this about seven years of tribulation. Within the first three and a half years, there'll be a lot of peace, but man, all hell will break loose about three and a half years into that. And this is where we see that he goes into the temple, he stops the sacrifices and says, hey, I'm God, worship me. And, and that's where we got the, the mark of the beast kind of idea in the scriptures, that if you don't bow down, you will be taken out you will be annihilated. You will be martyred for your faith, your belief. And so look at verse 23. And from the time that an alliance is made with him, he shall act deceitfully. And he shall become strong with a small people. Verse 32. He shall seduce with flattery those who, who violate the covenant. He's, he's going to take people that violate the covenant means these are Jews who turn their back on their covenant and follow him. There are going to be people who claim to be Christians who are going to fall away from the faith in the last days. There's a great falling away. Now, Scripture describes many people falling away from the faith in the end times. I give you a whole bunch of verses here you can study on your own just to, just to validate that, that point. So you got distress of nations, and then you got this massive falling away. Don't get caught up in that. Don't let your heart grow cold. Persevere to the end. There'll be a lot of people falling away. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. Now, uh, Don Miles, our chairman of our board of elders, sent out to the elders this last week uh, some stats, which I found really fascinating. I, I knew this was true. Every church attendance is still not back to pre-COVID lockdown levels. There's already been a falling away just from COVID. Now, we're, we're delighted with, our, what, what, with what we've got going on here. We continue to grow, and we see a lot of health happening here. But average church in America today is not doing so well. A lot of people are AWOL. They're not coming back to church. There's already, we're already seeing a falling away, and that was just COVID. I can only imagine if it gets more difficult, how many more people will fall away. So you've got distress of nations falling away, then you've got persecution and martyrdom. Verses 31 through 35, these are phenomenal verses, and yet they're very harsh verses because within these, you see martyrdom, you see persecution. This Antiochus Epiphanes, he was around about 175 B.C., will have a hellish hatred for Israel. Obviously, so will the Antichrist. He will desecrate the temple, cause the daily sacrifices to cease. We see that in verses 31 and 32. He will murder many Jews, but it will have a purifying effect on those who survive. 
You can see that in, that in those verses, verses 31 through 35. So here's what we've got, what we're heading into. In the last days, there will be an explosion of antagonism towards God's people. You can expect that. You can expect per, uh, persecution and even possibly martyrdom. Matthew 24, 9. We are already seeing evidence of this today. I gave you a number of verses just to kind of show you this is what the Bible predicts. Now, persecution against Christians in the world is as high as it has ever been, and it will likely only get worse. There's a ministry called Open Doors, a ministry that helps the persecuted church around the world, tells us that today over 340 million Christians live in places where they experience high levels of persecution. 340 million Christians live in places where they experience high levels of persecution. That's the highest in history. Last year, almost 5,000 believers were martyred because of their faith. 5,000. I mean, we're, we're pretty protected here. Someone snubs us. Someone says something hateful to us. That's no big deal to what most of the Christians are experiencing worldwide. Over 4,000 Christian churches were burned. Another 4,000 Christians were imprisoned, many without trial because of their faith. And even, let's, let's look at our country just for a moment. Even in our country, where we supposedly have a guaranteed freedom of religion, we're seeing the steady eroding of those things. Already in some places, if you hold to what Scripture teaches about sexuality, gender, or the sanctity of life, or the way of salvation, you can be labeled as a bigot, you can be canceled, you can even be fired. That's happening. It's only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. That's what the Bible predicts. That's what the Bible says. And so you've got distress of nations falling away, persecution, martyrdom, and then you've got increased godlessness. That's your next fill in the blank. That's verses 30, 36 through 45. We didn't read this, but this is the Antichrist. This is... This is insane. Let me just read to you just some of the verses here because I'm telling you, this guy's the epitome of uh, narcissism. I mean, and, and that's what we see in our culture today. Uh, narcissism is just self-centeredness on steroids, okay? And we all tend to kind of lean towards that because we all want to be the, our own God, the God of our own life. By the way, that's the essence of sin. Sin is substituting ourselves for God, playing God. And, of course, we know that salvation is God substituting himself for us in our place for our sins on the cross. <laughs> and so so we, like to, we like to play God. See if this guy's not playing God here. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every God and shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper till indignation is accomplished for what is decreed shall be done. In other words, God's going to just let it run its course to a certain degree. And then all of a sudden, uh, I, I remember a quote from uh, A.W. Tozer a number of years ago. He said, man can shake his fist at God, but God ultimately determines how many times man will shake his fist at him. I mean, that's what you've got with, the, with this Antichrist. It tells us in um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, when Jesus shows up on the scene with the Antichrist, he's going to take him out with the breath of his mouth. Boom, just like that. You're done. I love it. That's the team I want to be on, the Jesus team, okay? And, and so that's, 
I mean, so this guy's so full of himself, he shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or the one beloved by women. He shall pay, not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. Narcissism, the epitome of self-centeredness, but that's what we see happening, increased godlessness. He's kind of the apex of all that's already happening. This abomination of desolation. Abomination is just like, I don't need you, God. I'll do my own thing. By the way, that brings desolation. That evil brings destruction. We see that as we thumb our nose at God, as we rebel against Him, thus the byproduct of that is destruction. And as long as we continue to shake our fist at God, God continues to pour His grace upon us, giving us time to come back to Him and put our faith in Him. God is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. And so, increase godlessness. And so, Antichrist is the epitome of this. You can read more about this in Daniel 8, 2 Thessalonians 2, Revelations 13. And then you got the essence of, of the Antichrist spirit, the spirit of the Antichrist in 1 John 2, 18 through 27. Now, the essence of the Antichrist spirit is to deny or diminish or distract us from being... Uh, a fully devoted follower of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Any, any group of people that would deny, diminish, or distract us from the person and work of Jesus Christ would be classified as an antichrist. So you could actually go to a so-called Christian church. There's a progressive Christian churches out there that don't make much of Christ. And they could actually deny, maybe diminish, or distract you from that. We know this, that all the major cults and religions of our world today would be classified as antichrist because they deny the deity of Christ, that Christ, that God, that Jesus is God in flesh. And so, what does that mean, this idea, this idea of the abomination of desolation is happening in the hearts and lives of people even to this day? Of course, the Antichrist will be the, the apex of this, but I've got this on your notes. So what is this godlessness? This is what you need to be aware of. You don't want it creeping into your life. It's self-righteousness, being your own savior. I can find my own meaning, hope, and happiness apart from God. That's what it's saying. It's self-righteousness. Or I can earn my right standing with God. You can't earn a right standing with God. It's not something you can achieve. It's only something you can receive by grace through faith in Christ. Or self-will, being your own boss. Nobody's going to tell me how to live my life. I'll live however I want to live. Oh, nice, Antichrist. That's an attitude of, of the Antichrist. How about self-centeredness? I'll live for my glory. Hey, look how great I am. That's our culture, every one of those. Self-righteousness, self-will, self-centeredness. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 describes our culture. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Then, isn't that what we said? As the world gets darker, life will get harder, times of difficulty for people will be, why? why will there be times of difficulty? Because people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoiding Avoid such people. Man, don't hang out with these people. You don't want to become like them. That's what he's saying there. Okay. Woo. Let's stand for closing prayer. Oh, where's the hope? 
Where's the hope? It's right here. Now, so what should my mindset be as we face difficulties? I started thinking about this, and so as, I, as I've gone through years of difficulty and things that I've had to face, I love this verse. It's found in 2 Corinthians 6.10. We are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. You guys familiar with that verse? We are sorrowful, yet always, always rejoicing. So that should be the disposition of believers. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Notice this is not happening sequentially, but simultaneously. It's not like sometimes we're sorrowful, and then sometimes we're rejoicing. If that's the case, then you're building your sense of security and significance and satisfaction on your circumstances, because sometimes you can be sorrowful about your circumstances, sometimes you can rejoice over your circumstances. But if you're building your sense of security on Christ, and you look at your circumstances, yeah, you're going to have sorrow, but in that sorrow, you can also rejoice because of the hope that you have in Christ. So it's not sequential, it's simultaneously we are experiencing sorrow and joy. Does that sound weird to you? Does that make sense? Some of you are looking at me like, huh? That almost sounds weird. That almost sounds schizophrenic. What is wrong with this? Well, actually, the Bible makes that very clear. It says, see, the opposite of joy is not sadness. You guys know what the opposite of joy is? It's not sadness. It's hopelessness. It's, it's a lack of joy. So you can have, in your sadness, you should have joy. It sounds crazy. You should have joy. You should have hope if you know Christ. First Thessalonians 4.13, it says, we grieve... Life is hard, so we grieve, but we don't grieve like the world because why? Because we have what? We have hope. That's what gets you through your grief. If you don't have hope in your grief, you're gonna, it's going to end in despair and depression and maybe even suicide. No, in our grief, in our sadness, there's joy, there's, there's hope. What gets us through our grief is that we have hope. Hope by the way, the Bible defines hope different than how we define it. We define it as wishful thinking. That's not hope from the Bible's perspective. The hope that the Bible gives us is confident, joyful expectation. God loves us. He's going to take care of us. My bad things will work out for my good. My truly good things can never be taken from me. And my best things are yet to come. That's the hope of the Bible. And the best is yet to come. God's working all these things for my good and His glory. So I believe that Christians should be the saddest and the happiest people on the planet simultaneously. Should be sad over the brokenness of this world and yet be filled with hope because God is our redeemer, our restorer. And we've got the answer to the problems of this culture. So there there should be that that combination of both. I I love what one pastor said. He, He said it's really God's God is working an optimum environment is what he calls it, optimum environment. We must see the big picture, the negative and positive aspects, knowing that God is establishing the optimum environment for his people to walk in love, power, and purity. What the devil means for evil, God will use for good to train his people and cause them to mature. God uses the least severe means to bring the greatest number of people to the deepest level of love. So, no doubt about it, 
we are sending our kids out into a hostile world. I think of my grandkids. I have adult kids. I've got grandkids. I think of the kids in our church, our children's, and our children's ministry, our youth ministry. I want you to think about this, parents, that we are sending our kids out into a hostile world, and we need to prepare them for that. That's what our church is all about, preparing our kids at a very young age of what they're going to face in this world. We can't be content with superficial Christianity. Kids who don't cuss, drink, or chew, or hang with kids who do. It's got to be more than behavioral modification. It's got to be heart transformation. And so we need to teach them that Jesus is worth living and dying for. And though the world may take everything from them, he is infinitely and eternally worth it. That's the message they need to hear from us. That's what they need to see in our lives. That whatever we give up for Christ is nothing compared to what we gain in him as we stand strong in all that he has for us. So as the world gets darker, life will get harder. Oh my goodness, verses 20, uh, 32b through 35 are absolutely out of this world. Let's unpack them here. So God's grace will shine brighter on us and through us, tucked away in chapter 11 and repeated in chapter 12, while at the same time surrounded by all of this prophecy of the world getting darker, there's some characteristics that should be evident in our lives. Here's the first one, knowing God. I think this is my favorite right here. I think this is what the Christian life is, the best part of the Christian life and what the Christian life is all about, knowing God. Look what it says in verse 32b. Notice the context. Let me read verse uh, 32a. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. He's talking persecution, difficulties, hardship. But the people who know their God, and then he goes on to explain, talk about the characteristics of those people in the midst of difficulties, but the people who know their God. The word know is the Hebrew yada. It's not just information about God, it's intimacy with God. It's one thing to know truths about the nature and the character of God and for that to be intellectually coherent, but it's altogether another to have the nature and the character of God to be experientially captivating and compelling. It's where those truths go from a concept to a reality, where you interact with God, you know Him, you walk with Him, you experience Him. He speaks to your heart, He leads and He guides you. For this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ in whom you have sent, John 17, 3. So intimacy with God is the blood-bought opportunity to develop an ongoing dialogue, conversation, relationship with the most loving, wise, powerful, kind, generous, understanding, righteous, holy, perfect person in the universe. <laughs> and nothing will give you more fulfillment and fruitfulness, love, joy, peace. Nothing will give you more fulfillment and fruitfulness like intimacy with Him that all the success in this world can never give you and all the suffering in this world can never take that from you. So let me ask you this. You may know and you've heard, hey, there's joy in God's presence, there's comfort in His love, there's strength in His power, there's significance, you know, in, in being called a child of God. But let me ask you this, when was the last time you had a sense of that on your heart? 
you had an experience of the joy of His presence, you just knew He was with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. You know God. I mean, sometimes I wake up in the morning, I'm just, I'm ready to go for it because I just have that overwhelming sense, oh God, you are with me, you love me, no one loves me like you love me. There's joy in your presence. In his presence is fullness of joy, 1611 of, of Psalms. The joy of his presence, the comfort of his love. When was the last time you sat down and you poured your heart out to God and the comfort of his love chased away the fear, the anxiety, and the worry in your heart? See, that's knowing God. Joy of his presence, comfort of his love, the strength of his power. Oh my goodness, sometimes I've just wiped out my life and I've got a lot of things I still need to do and I, I've, I've been overwhelmed by his strength in my life. God, I need your strength. I need help here. Please help me. When was the last time you felt his strength? This is what he's offering. The people who know their God. Do you know God like that? Or the significance of being called a child of God? No greater significance. I'm a child of God. That, the implications of that are through the roof. It's amazing. It's out of this world. What we have in Him, we can know God, even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of hardship and crisis. Those who know their God. I believe the next is doing miracles. That's your next fill in the blank. So God's grace will shine brighter and brighter on us and through us, knowing God. And out of that knowing God, we're going to see miracles begin to take place. Look at verse 32c, shall stand firm and take action. So those who know God shall stand firm, take action. I love how the King James puts it. They shall be strong and do exploits. Whoa, I wanna do exploits. Yeah, those who know God shall be strong and do exploits. I believe that what awaits us, and I think that we can begin to start experiencing that now, and I've seen a, a bits of that even here at Desert Breeze through the years. I believe that as it gets harder and more difficult and more dark, I believe that God's going to pour His Holy Spirit out upon His people unlike ever before. I believe that, and I think that's what He's promising here uh, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit unlike we've ever known through a manifestation of the gifts and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Joel 2, 28 talks about that. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. This is speaking of the gifts. We also see a list of the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, chapters 12 through 14. Supernatural manifestations of the Holy Spirit, also known as gifts of the Spirit, words of knowledge and wisdom and faith and healing and miracles and prophecy and discernment. But I also believe there's going to be an outpouring of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I think it's pretty miraculous when you can love those who hate you, pray for those who persecute you, and forgive those who despitefully use you. That's pretty miraculous. That's a work of the Holy Spirit in your life when you can do that. You got a few people in your life that hate you, despise you, have persecuted you? I do. And I've seen God work in my life supernaturally to help me to love them Pray for them and forgive them. See, the people who walk in love, joy, and peace while in difficult circumstances or while being mistreated by others make Jesus look attractive. That's what God wants for our lives, doing miracles. Here's the next one. This is an important one, receiving understanding. I think they kind of build on each other. So knowing God, doing miracles, receiving understanding. Look at verse 33. And the wise among the people shall make many understand. The wise among the people. Daniel 12, 3 kind of repeats this. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. Verse 10b, 
got your Bibles open, you can look at this. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. Hear what he's saying? And when we're going through difficult times, there'll be a lot of people confused of what's going on. What's going on here? We don't understand. The wicked aren't going to understand, but the wise will understand. We know what's going on. We know God's in control. We know God rules history. God's going to win in the end. We know that. And so it's important to have that wisdom and understanding in the midst of difficulties. Let me, let me help you kind of walk through something that's been really helpful for me through the years. It's not the events in your life. I'm not minimizing what's happened to you. But it's not the events in your life that make you feel and behave the way you feel and behave. Don't blame your feelings and behavior because of what has happened to you. It's actually not the events in your life that make you feel and respond to those events the way you feel and respond. It's actually your mental evaluation of those events that determine how you are going to feel and behave in response to those events. Your mental evaluation. It's your mental evaluation. In in other words, you need to have wisdom and understanding in the midst of those hard, difficult situations. When we talk about mental evaluation, we're talking about wisdom and understanding. In other words, a biblical worldview. Do you understand that God is for you and not against you? Do you understand what I've called gospel logic. If he didn't spare his own son in taking care of your worst problem, which was being eternally separated from him, he's not going to spare anything else in taking care of you. It's Romans 8, 31 and 32. So if part of your mental evaluation of the events in life doesn't, does not have a biblical worldview, I can oftentimes see in my own life and other people's lives that if I have inordinate and inconsolable negative thoughts and emotions and behavior to the events of my life, it's because I don't believe that God is for me. I'm not responding and seeing the events of life from a biblical worldview. By the way, we're going to do a whole teaching series after this one on a biblical worldview. We're going to finish up the year talking about the greatest story ever told and take you through the Bible of a biblical worldview. Because it's our biblical worldview that makes us or breaks us with the events of life. And if I don't keep bringing myself back to the Bible as I go through difficulties, I'm not going to be able to fly through the storms. Many of you have heard the story of I used to fly out to Palo Verde um, on an airplane. I wasn't flying the airplane, but another guy was flying the airplane from Deer Valley Airport. And, uh, but during storms, he wouldn't fly. We would drive out there. And there were guys that were flying from Prescott out there. There were four guys that would fly from Prescott. And one morning, they flew into a storm, and the guy flew the plane into the ground, and all of them died because the pilot was not instrument-trained. And if you're not instrument-trained, you know, you kind of go by sight, you go by feeling, and there's this thing called spatial disorientation that happens in storms with pilots. In fact, I've got it, I've got it on my notes here. When pilots fly into clouds, they must follow their instruments even when it contradicts their feelings. In other words, they have this spatial disorientation or they will inev- inevitably crash. You and I also need to know our instruments. We need to have a biblical worldview. We need to keep coming back to the scriptures when we have this spatial disorientation. It's like, man, it doesn't look like God's in charge. doesn't look like things are happening the way they should. Oh my goodness, what's happening? Go back to the instrument panel. Otherwise, you will fly your plane right into the ground. 
You're going to be wiped out by that. That's why it tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we live by faith and not by, not by sight, not by feelings. Instrument panel, God's Word, biblical worldview. I'm interpreting my circumstances based on what He says about me, who I am in light of that, what He's doing. I can't see it all. He's smarter than me. He's got a plan. It's not my plan He's working. It's His plan. I've got to trust Him in that. Does that make sense? You guys with me? Okay. We, that's what we've got to do. We've got to know God. We, got to, we can do miracles. We've got to receive understanding. I love what C.S. Lewis says. Faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. We'll probably talk more about that next weekend, okay? You'll have to come back. We'll talk more about that. And then reaching many in the harvest. I believe that there will be a, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in such a way that we're going to see a lot of people come to faith. Look at verses 33b shall make many understand, and the wise among the people shall make many understand. Daniel 12, 3, and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness. If you're wise, you're going to turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Revelation 7, 9 through 14 talks about the great harvest of souls in the last days. Here's what I pray regularly. The sleepy Christians would wake up, nominal Christians would get saved, and the church would become so beautified that those that are hard to reach would be attracted to Christ through the lives of believers. I pray that for our church. I pray that for the churches in our community. I pray that for our city, our state, our nation. I want you to be praying that also that God would bring a harvest of souls. Here's the next one, reaching supernatural help, receiving supernatural help in persecution and suffering. Verse 34, when they stumble, they shall receive a little help. Daniel chapter 12 verse 1 talks about um, deliverance coming in the, in the midst of that, in the midst of difficulty and hardship as it gets darker and more hard in life, that God will bring his deliverance. Now, what is that deliverance? What kind of ex deliverance can I expect? Receiving supernatural help in persecution. What does that look like? Or in suffering. Hebrews 11 uh, helps us to understand that. There's two kinds of deliverance and supernatural help in persecution and suffering. Sometimes, sometimes he calms the storm. Sometimes our God calms the storm. Sometimes he calms his child in the storm. Sometimes he saves you from the sword, and sometimes through the sword. Acts chapter 12, Peter saves him from the sword. James saves him through the sword, takes him home. James is taken out, but he takes him home. Either way, you can trust his perfect love, infinite wisdom, and unlimited power, always working for your good and his glory. He's not going to abandon you. He's going to be with you through your persecution. That's what he's promising here. Maybe you're going through persecution, problems, difficulties, suffering right now. I'm telling you, he's with you. He hasn't abandoned you. He loves you. No one loves you like him. Gospel logic. If he didn't spare his own son, he's not going to spare anything else taking care of you. That's a fact. Here's the last one, being brought to maturity. This is what he wants from us more than anything. As we know him, as we do miracles, as we receive understanding, we reach many in the harvest, we're receiving supernatural help in persecution. He's going to bring, bring us to maturity, verse 35. And some of the wise shall stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. 
chapter 12 of Daniel, verse 10, many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. It's not what happens to us, it's what happens in us that makes us or breaks us in life. It's not what happens to us, it's not our circumstances that makes us or breaks us in life. It's what happens in us, it's our character. It's our character that makes us or breaks us in life. He wants you to have Christ-like character. He wants to grow you up. He wants you to experience holiness, wholeness through Jesus Christ. Holiness or character is about being so happy in Christ that sin loses its appeal and suffering loses its effect. Remember the war of wars, where we started. The war of wars is the battle for our heart's deepest affections and loyalties. Give your heart's deepest affections and loyalties to Christ this morning. Do that every day. That's your best defense. If you've never done that before, I would invite you to do that this morning. Man, give your life to Jesus. Acknowledge that your sins separate you from God. Believe that Christ died in your place for your sins and confess him as Savior. And Lord, you can do that as we pray in just a moment. I would invite you to do that. And I'd love to hear about it. You can come up and talk to me about it. I'd love to pray with you this morning. Next weekend, our bright future, Daniel chapter 12. I thought this one was going to be a little bit shorter, but it wasn't. But I had 45 verses to cover. Next week, it's only 13 verses, okay? Okay, so we go from 45, verse 11, to chapter 12, 13 verses. Nice smooth landing as we finish up the book, okay? That's where we're going next week. I'll be up front at the end of the service along with any available elders or leaders. If you're new, we'd love to meet you. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you. If you've got any questions, we'd love to try to answer those questions for you. Let's pray. Father God, as the world gets darker, we know that life is going to get harder, but your grace will shine brighter on us and through us. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for we know the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. And so, Father, we ask that you would make all grace abound to us so that in all things, at all times, having all that we need, we will abound in every good work for our joy and your glory. In Jesus' beautiful name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Love you guys. God bless you.